Hello, and welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for board game news and reviews. Hold on to your pants, it's time for a special episode. Hi, I'm Peter and I'm here with Mike. Hey, hey, hey. And I'm also here with Steve. Hey guys, Steve here. And a new fan favorite, it's Barrett. Hey, glad to be here. Awesome. Well, we have something special for you. Three weeks in a row of special content. We've got a top of the decade list. What I mean by that is we're going to look at every year from 2010 to 2019 and pick our top co-op game from that year. Yeah, man, there are some great years in here and there are some other years in here. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good description of it. It's really interesting to see the amount of co-ops are coming out like in the past and one year in particular didn't have as that many. But then recently there's a huge slog of them. It's awesome. Yeah, I was a little worried because when I actually got this idea from the Dukes of Dice podcast, they had the same thing where they listed their top game from 2010 to 2019. I thought it was a great idea. The problem is we are so co-op specific that I wasn't sure that like 2010, 2011 would have any co-ops at all. But sure enough, it did. Well, the thing to remember is 2000 is when Lord of the Rings, the Reiner Knizia co-op game came out, which not counting like original Arkham Horror and such, I think is one of the big like events in co-op gaming. But also Pandemic had come out in 2008. So this is two years after co-op was shown to be a major moneymaker. So I think uh, publishers had already kind of gotten the memo and had things rolling by 2010. Cool. Well, because it's a New Year podcast, Mike, I know you were a little disappointed that I didn't have my stats last week. Do you guys want to go over some stats this week? Well, first, let's thank our Patreon contributors for this week. Uh, We're going back through some of our major members from the list. So we'd like to thank Andrew James Barrett, who's a co-op MVP. The Fool Dude, Patrick from the Slack, a major, major contributor over there, one of our favorites. Also a co-op MVP. And Joe Sokol, a co-op fan. So we started the podcast back in 2017. Does anybody remember or have a guess for how many downloads we got in 2017? About half a year? Uh, 100. That's that's (laughs) not right. (laughs) It must be higher than that. No. That that would be pretty bad. Although probably our first (laughs) two months was 100. Probably say close to the 1,000 mark if you're starting in the middle. I'm not sure. Barrett, you have any guess? I'll go 3,000. All right. So closest without going over is Barrett. We had 6,779 oh! downloads. That's right. Me so for the win. Six months. <laughs> Not bad. Not bad. Not bad. So about 1,000 a month. Anybody want to guess? All right. So this is January 1st when we're recording. Anyone to guess how many downloads we have in 2020 so far? <laughs> well, 2020 would be zero because we haven't posted this yet, right? <laughs> well, we still have downloads of our older episodes. People download oh, every day. Oh, I guess you're saying... So for the one day. For the one day. Yeah, we we are recording this on New Year's Day, by the way. (laughs) January 1st, yes. So how many do you think we have for today? Uh, I'm going to go with 3,000. No, 300. (laughs) 200. I was going to say 200. I'll go with 300. All right. Steve wins this round. 390 downloads in one day. I swear to God, that must have been like half a year back then. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, which is crazy. So we didn't quite reach the 150,000 download mark by the end of last year. Right now we're sitting at 149,162 downloads. So, so close. So real quick, 2018, we uh, got up to 52,000 downloads. And 2019, we got almost 90,000, 89.7 thousand downloads. So getting close to that 100,000 mark last year. Hopefully we'll break it this year. That's pretty great. Awesome. Uh, thanks to Love thanks it. to especially Steve since you're doing uh, 
pretty much half the episodes on your own. It's a fun joint effort, effort uh, enjoy it. And I'd love talking to our listeners too. Just because I think this is even more fun, what do you think our top five downloaded episodes are? Gloomhaven. <laughs> I want to say the Alter Quest. The Alter Quest preview, I want to say, is one of them. That was high at one point, at least. Uh, one of our top 20 episodes, I would assume. Any of the ones I was on. Let's go with that. <laughs> Didn't you say, like, Kitchen Rush was a top episode? Or Deep oh, deep Madness, probably. All right, you guys got most of them. So, Alter Quest is number one, followed by Deep Madness. Then Lord of the Rings, Journeys from Middle-Earth, which was not that long ago, so that one jumped up pretty quick. Gloomhaven, Mike, you got that one. And top 20 co-ops of all time. Yeah, so those are all still up there. And actually, Steve, one of your earlier ones, Gloomhaven vs. Sword and Sorcery debate, was up there as well. And then, Oh, yes. that was a fantastic episode. I remember listening to that one when I was mowing my lawn. That was a really fun episode to listen to. That was a great episode you guys as did. Your, uh, has your opinion shifted at all, Steve? Because I, I have gotten more in Gloomhaven's camp and less in favor of uh, Sword and Sorcery, so I've kind of gotten more hardened in my views. I think I've gotten more hardened in my views, too, based upon what's coming in the sets. They've done a lot of improvements. Oh, for so. Sword and Sorcery? That's good mm-hmm. to hear, yeah, because I never played the uh, the second season or, like, the Arcane expansion. I know you said those were even better in their variety and stuff. Yeah, that, that much is true, for sure. But yes, then Kitchen Rush is right after those, so I, I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea why. What happened there? I have no idea why Kitchen Rush is such a huge episode. <laughs> well, I will say, episode 84 was Lord of the Rings, episode 83 was Alter Quest, and 82 was Kitchen Rush. So it might have been a bunch of people downloading those two and then continued to download earlier episodes, but they didn't keep going after Kitchen Rush because uh, 81 is nowhere to be seen. <laughs> so, so Kitchen Rush destroyed them. They were like, oh, I thought this podcast was good, but they cover this. Yes, yes. That's basically what happened. <laughs> All right. So we've uh, had enough fun looking at the past and looking at what's happened with the podcast. Let's get down to breaking down a decade of co-ops. All right, so I'll start us off because I sort of made the initial list and people added to it. So there was no kind of uh, incredibly scientific way that I made the list of games we kind of considered for each year. I just looked on the BGG rankings, the top co-ops, went down into usually like the 2,000 or 3,000 ranked games that had co-op in them based on like how the mechanisms were reported. And I grabbed anything that I had heard of in a major way that was supposed to be good or anything that any of us had mentioned in conversations. So there are definitely uh, games that could be not on these lists that, uh, you know, might be some of your favorites. But if that's the case, they're probably lower ranked on BGG. And that's why they didn't make uh, kind of our cut here. We also did try to look back to 2009 initially. But when you look at the co-op list in 2009, it basically boils down to just one game. Well, at least good (laughs) co-op. What was it? What was the one game for 2009? Castle Panic. Right. Castle Panic and nothing else. So we all picked Castle Panic for 2009. Basically. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> Baron, talk about 2010. <laughs> oh my gosh, you kidding me? No, don't give me 2010. I've only played one of the games. Well, was it a good one for you at least? It was great. It was Forbidden Island. We still have this game. It's a family fun game. We've been playing this quite a bit, actually. It hits our table quite a bit with my 10-year-old, my wife, and myself. We play it quite a bit. It's basically a sinking island, and you're trying to get off the island before it sinks. You need all the treasures to do that, and hopefully your landing pad has not disappeared by then. That's usually the way the game ends. If that goes away and you can't get off the island... It's really, it's got a lot of cool mechanics. I really enjoy the game. And like I said, our, my family still plays this game quite a bit. Well, I think everybody in the listening audience can guess Mike and Mai's pick as well, knowing now that that game came out in 2010. 
Well, you know, it, it was tough for me. Uh, Hanabi, which is a favorite of me and my wife, uh, that was a close second for me. But yes, Forbidden Island was also my number one. Yeah, me as well. I mean, we glow about this game all the time. There were a couple of other ones that weren't really in contention for me, but I thought were honorable mentions, which were Defenders of the Realm. I do like that game. I know that's hot or cold for people. I do like it. And Castle Ravenloft. It started the D&D adventure games, and, you know, some of them were good and some were bad, but I think they're a good introduction to dungeon crawls, and we've never covered them, so we probably should at some point. Yeah, and uh, sort of a runner-up for me was Space Hulk Death Angel, although really I like that more for solo than co-op, but uh, that one, Colin did a great video on the YouTube channel recently, and that's definitely have some favorable memories about it, despite how many times I died horribly. All right, but Steve, we're leaving you out. What's your favorite from the year? <laughs> I have played all these games that are being mentioned, and I do like quite a few of them. Forbidden Island's awesome, Hanabi's great, but for me, it was an easy choice for me, and that's Defenders of the Realm. Oh, I say that because well, I knew that Steve talks about that game all the time. <laughs> when I go yeah, to his house, it has a favorite there yeah, it him. has a place of honor on his shelf. Definitely, it's I mean, it's showing its age right now. To, if you play it now, for sure. But when I was living in Iowa, we used to have my brother-in-law come down visit, and we always had to play that game when he came down. So there's a lot of memories for that, and I have all the expansions, which really makes it into this giant, almost unwieldy, epic quest. Almost so unwieldy. It becomes huh? quite fun. Yeah. Well, you have 21 heroes to pick from, and like, oh my God. I think it's 21 at least. And every hero has like four unique powers, and you have all these different quests going on. It's a lot. Now, have you played Defenders of the Last Stand? I have played part of it. <laughs> that doesn't that's, sound that's a, like uh, a that's, rigging endorsement. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, that type of theme doesn't really sing for me as much as just normal fantasy there. And there were some improvements to it, but also some things I didn't like about it. So Defenders of the Realm, I do like better than Last Stand. Huh, who would like a post-apocalyptic themed game? Yeah, I know. <laughs> All right, I think the only game on our list that nobody mentioned, but I still like it a lot, was Onirim. But again, that's mainly a solo game, even though you can play it two-player. All right, so let's move on to 2011. Steve, you can start us off here. I know what your choice will be. Yeah, this is a pretty easy one. So this, I think 2011 is when a lot of good, solid co-ops are coming out. It's quite a few of them on this list, but one of them stands above the others for sure, and that's Lord of the Rings Living Card Game. I have to pick this one. I still play it to this day. It's my most played game. I've, I don't know, at this point, I think it's over 300 plays. I'm not really sure. So yeah, it's awesome. Now, Steve, what would be your choice if you were just comparing the core game of Lord of the Rings, which we know is not the best way to experience the game, to the other games that came out in 2011? Yeah, that's a tough one. Uh, Mage Knight is quite good. I enjoy that. I just don't like how long it takes to play. And I'm a fan of Gears of War. It doesn't get much love, but I do like that system quite a bit. So it'd be, I think for me, between those two, I might pick Mage Knight. I'm not really sure. I have to think about this some more. Yeah, I mean, I have both Mage Knight and Gears of War, and I agree. Those are both great games. What's your top one for that year, though, Peter? I mean, you guys probably know this. This is a pretty obvious one, too. Flashpoint Fire Rescue. It's amazing. Now, again, if I was just looking at the base game, it would probably still beat out those other two. Because, as Steve said, Mage Knight had the most fun with Solo. And I'm not much of a Solo gamer, but... When I was playing it solo, I really enjoyed it because of the lack of downtime and the fact that I can sit there and think over my turn as long as I wanted to. And Gears of War, I really do like. So that would have given Flashpoint a run for its money, probably. But, I mean, with the expansion, there's no question. Flashpoint's amazing. I think the Tragic Events expansion just did so much for Flashpoint for me, and that really just makes that game awesome. Up until that point, it was good, but 
Yeah, that one is makes it a great game. Yeah, I agree. How about you, Barrett? What do you pick for 2011? For 2011, since Con of the Rings, I have to go with Lord of the Rings, living card game just like Steve. This game really hasn't left my table too much since then because I've just had so much fun with it. And I'm glad I got to go to this Con of the Rings that really expanded and opened my eyes to how awesome this game was. Well, that's very interesting because due to recent events and uh, Colin being awesome, (laughs) Lord of the Rings LCG is now my number one game of 2011 as well. Traitor. Yeah, this one, uh, if, if I do like an all-time uh, co-op or solo game list, uh, it'll be very different. Because uh, basically, for those who have not listened to the many times I've talked about Lord of the Rings, including the contentious Lord of the Rings versus Arkham Horror debate we did once, uh, Lord of the Rings, I have, I have, I still have issues with the design, but I'm appreciating how fun it can be as long as you can build decent decks. And uh, Colin has been incredibly generous in sending me all the Lord of the Rings saga expansions, which is a lot of content for a very inexpensive price. And then uh, Peter and Jerry gave me all of the Hobbit saga expansions. And I do find, as a huge fan of the books, that the saga is kind of my favorite way to play it. And it has a bit more of that campaign feel, which I'm missing from the normal play. So with that, uh, Lord of the Rings has become amazing. Now, if you uh, take that one out... Um, especially since uh, that's really with expansions. I kind of hate the core game experience. I think there's so little there that I can't really like it that much. Uh, Sentinels of the Multiverse is up there for me. Mage Knight is up there for me, although, like Peter said, I think it's better as a solo experience. Sentinels, I think, also relies on expansions, so I wouldn't put that at the top. So I would probably go Gears of War for taking away expansion content and just looking at the base game. I think that's a really solid co-op game with still some pretty amazing mechanics, even if you look at it today, like in modern times. Uh, there's a lot of uh, unique stuff that I wish other games would try out from there. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. A lot of games from this year got expanded. I mean, the only one we're not really talking about is Gears of War anymore. But the rest of those games have all gotten expanded. And even Elder Sign, which we didn't mention, has been expanded several times too. So, yeah, the co-ops from that year have really done well for longevity. Gears of War did get one expansion. It's a pretty small one, but I wish they had more to Absolutely. it for sure. Yeah, that's the game actually on this list that I haven't played that I really want to from the 2011. I haven't actually had a chance to play it. You can't get it. It's really tough. So I haven't had a chance to really try that one in my area. Well, if you ever visit us, Peter's got a copy. All right. <laughs> All right, going into 2012, Peter, why don't you start this one off? All right, this one actually surprised me. I picked a game from 2012 that I've only actually played once, and that was with you, Mike, and that is Freedom Underground Railroad. Oh, wow, that's a big surprise. Yeah, there are some good games in this year. I mean, Marvel Legendary, Shadow Rift, Mice and Mystics, the original Zombicide came out, Robinson Crusoe, can't forget that. That's certainly a top co-op of all time, but for me... There was something about freedom. I liked the puzzling nature of it. And unlike some of the games that I talk about that have a puzzling nature, it wasn't overly complicated. I could see the puzzle. And maybe it's because, and and those of you who have listened long enough know, I like movement-based puzzles. I like visual puzzles, like almost uh, like miniatures games, tactical battle-type puzzles. And I know Freedom Underground Railroad is definitely not a battling game, But it has a lot of those elements, like you're moving something here to make this move this way so you can go around this way. And so you're doing a lot of feints, things like that. And because of that, it it really sung to me. That game does a phenomenal job approaching that theme, too, because that's a very sensitive subject. And they did it in a great way that's respectful. And you honestly, while you're playing the game, can learn quite a bit. 
Yeah, I agree. That that was in contention for me. So was Robinson Crusoe. I think that's a great one. But I went for a sort of more Peter-style game, a lighter game here. And that's uh, Escape the Hidden Temple, the real-time, dice-rolling, frenetic, crazy game. I will say that is definitely based on the content in the Big Box expansion. I got the like the second Big Box version, especially the Quest expansion, I think really transforms the game. It's a little bit like the tragic events for uh, Flashpoint, except for Escape. But I think it's a solid game in any case, and that was my number one. Well, and when that game came out, there were expansions almost immediately with it. Like, I know the Curses came out pretty quickly afterward. So it's not like there weren't expansions out in 2012. Yeah, but the specific one, I don't think the Curses came out until later. And that's the one that made the difference. The other expansions never really uh, impressed me that much. Or sorry, not the Curses, the, uh, the quests. All right, Steve, what do you think? This year was difficult for me to pick through. There was a few of them that jumped out at me, and there's a, probably one other year that also was difficult, but two of these stood out to me, and that was Robinson Crusoe. I love that game. I love the exploration of that, and just the theme and survival just really sings that game. And the other one is Marvel Legendary. I love Marvel. I love superheroes, and I still buy and play that game to this day. In fact, it's sitting right in front of me as I got a new expansion recently. So between those two, I think... If you ask me in 2012 which one I like better, definitely Robson Crusoe. The Marvel core set wasn't quite as good, but now with all the content that's out there for Marvel Legendary, I will never exhaust that game. I will never play the same game twice, so my pick now would be Marvel Legendary. So, Baranta, jump on in again. All right, for me, it's going to be one you guys didn't really even talk about much at all. I, Mice and Mystics, I'm going with that one. If you know me, it's Dungeon Crawler City over here, and that was kind of the breakthrough Dungeon Crawler, I think, that really got a lot of people to realize they could be playing their video games on the actual tabletop. It's a pretty rudimentary one now if you look at it, and actually I use it a lot when I play with my kids again. It's really family-friendly when it comes to the story and what's in the game and how it's actually played. So I really like Dungeon Crawlers. I think this one was one of the ones that kind of started it all off. Yeah, how many uh, of your recent YouTube channel of your favorite games, how many of them were Dungeon Crawlers, Barrett? I would probably go nine <laughs> of ten. <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds about right. <laughs> so you're the anti-Steve is what we're hearing here. Yeah, probably, pretty much. You know, Mice and Mystics is one that I've tried to love, and I've tried to play with my kids several times, and I haven't done it recently, so it might be something that we could play better now. But I just found that their lack of clarity in some rules bothered me. And I know it doesn't bother everybody, but for me, that's what killed the game. Like, I just want to know, first of all, why does water always move me one space? How do I get out of it? Where can I move? What can I do? It just seems like there are so many rules that were like, yeah, just figure it out or just play it the way you want to play it. And I want to play it the way that it's supposed to be played, not the way that I want to play it. So I I don't know. I I just, that was my only problem with that game. It probably should be higher. I think I just got angry at it and that's why it's not higher on my list. Well, that's totally understandable. I mean, again, you have to remember, this is kind of like the foundation for how this all went down and people may not have realized how much rules they needed to make sure that everybody followed everything exactly because if you're coming from different backgrounds like video games or role-playing games or something you can role-playing gamers have a little bit of way of being able to interpret rules how kind of they want to to make sure it kind of is fun for everybody where other people really need that structure they need to know that this does this and they need to know why it does this and so i can totally understand where that can fall because of those kind of things well i'll say if you want to play mice and mystics but better play aftermath <laughs> which is by the same designer in the storybook series the stuff fables started 
but yeah, it's it's similar to Mice and Mystics. Like even the pieces kind of look like Mice and Mystics, like you know, mouses with mice with swords and stuff. But uh, yeah, it's 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 way better for me at least. It hasn't been something that's hit the table in a long time. It's really kind of has shown its age compared to some of the other stuff out there now for sure. Well, but I love the theme, and I think you're right. I think if you're not as crazy about like needing to know exactly how the game is meant to be played, and you're okay with just like fudging it a little bit, I think Mice and Mystics could be a great game for you. So I, I don't want to disparage it. I still have the game on my shelf. I'm waiting for my son to get a bit older where he can play it because I think that theme is awesome. The story is really fun. Yeah, the mechanics need some work for sure, but I mean, for the theme and something my son could get into, I'm, I've been hanging on to it. Yeah, we've been doing that one in Stuff Fables. That's kind of the kid dungeon crawlers we've been playing. Cool. All right. So to 2013. I'll jump in with this one. There were uh, numerous, numerous games to pick from in 2013. Top tier co-op games. We had a Pathfinder Adventure card game. We had Eldritch Horror. We had Forbidden Desert. Crickets. Yeah. (laughs) And that's it. I mean, really, I could not find anything else that I'd like even heard of unless I went down into like the 3000s or 4000s for ranking. Like, yeah, it was was a bit of a wasteland. Uh, For me... If I'm cheating a little bit, it's going to be Pathfinder Adventure mm-hmm. Card Game. But this is really because I'm thinking of the core set that came out this year that I think uh, improved on the game in a lot of major ways for me. Made the story better, made the leveling up, which is my favorite thing, more consistent, made like the resource management of the cards more interesting. So that's my top one. But if uh, you take away the core set from this year and just count the original set, I'd have to go with Eldritch Horror. Uh, which is a really solid uh, kind of freewheeling adventure game based on the old Arkham Horror 2nd Edition model. All right, Steve, what's your top three? My top three for this year? <laughs> <laughs> well, let me go through them. No, it's kidding. Yeah, I, this one was fairly easy for me to pick, I think. I still play Forbidden Desert with my son, and it's fun. I enjoy it. But for me, Eldritch Horror is more my style, and I really have fun with that game, even though... I don't think I've ever won. I normally do pretty horrible in that game. There was one game where I think I had, well, three or four investigators die under my watch. <laughs> so, in one, one game. And I think we ran out of monsters in another game. I'm not sure. It's, it was really bad. So, I've never won it, but I always enjoy it. I love the epic feel of it. And it, it was, it did what Fortune Glory wanted to do, but just way better. So, yep. Ultra Tour for me. All right, Barrett. How about you? Well, let's put it this way. If anything in 2014 or 2012 came out in 2013, it would have, I would have picked it because <laughs> I actually don't like uh, any of these games. Pathfinder Adventure Card Game, I, I played maybe uh, three scenarios out of it and found it to be absolutely basic, rudimentary. It was always the same thing over and over, and I did not like it. Forbidden Desert, I always grabbed Forbidden Island. And Eldritch Horror, I actually haven't taken the dive into that game, so I haven't played it. So I- I'm going to go with none. <laughs> but if I had to pick one, I'd have to go with Adventure Card Game. Because you haven't played it. That's probably the one I'd pick because I haven't played it. I'd probably be excited <laughs> to at least try something that might be good in 2013. There we go. Excellent. <laughs> I love this year. All right. 2013. <laughs> yes. Cr- crowning year for so, co-ops. So I will say my number three on the list is Pathfinder, for sure. My number two is Forbidden Desert, because I agree with Barrett. Forbidden Island is just way better. Although, I will play Desert. It's fine. It's nothing I am excited about. I love Island, and Desert, I think, is just fine. But Eldritch Horror, I actually still do like. And I actually think it's better than the newest Arkham Horror. 
if I'm going to pick one to play. Oh, I I agree with that, no doubt. Yeah, so, I mean, if I'm going to play an Arkham game, it's probably going to be Arkham LCG, but number two on the list, and something I don't have to commit to a campaign and playing multiple scenarios of, if I'm looking for a one-off, two-and-a-half-hour game, I'm going to pick Eldritch, and I'd be quite happy to play it. All right, so moving on to 2014. This was the toughest year for me. I know that's weird to say, but some of you might disagree, but I think this year was full of pretty good games like none of these were like oh my gosh that is an amazing game that i want to play all the time like these were all kind of okay so i had a really hard time picking it how about you all did you feel that way at all about this year i mentioned there was two years that were difficult for me 2012 was the first one and this was my second one there were three games on this this year that i thought were all pretty much the same level for me so picking between those three was difficult now, I had one that stood out. I had a, se- a, a second runner-up, but I had one that stood out for me, personally. I'm the same as Peter there. I had one I knew I was going to pick, but there is one in high contention with it as well. All right, Barrett. so what is your number one? 2014, for the one I picked, is Myth. The one I had a high contention with was Alien Legendary Encounters, mainly because Alien is probably my favorite like genre of all time. I'm a huge Aliens fan, so when that game came out, bought it, played it, loved it, still love it to this day, but Myth is actually the game that started my channel, and it really, to this day, still hums well. Now, of course, Peter's going to love the rule book on this one, because not a single rule is really well explained when it first came out. So, of course, going by core game, this probably isn't going to make it, because the rules were terrible, the stuff you got in the core box didn't fit at all, they had this questing system, which was just a joke, but as they've actually approved <laughs> this game, this game has become it's really good. The, I really love the characters in it. I love the way that you have cards that are your actions. I think those are really well. And I love the way that it kind of becomes this dungeon crawler. It doesn't span your whole table. You can actually remove the tiles as you're going, so that works really well. But I, when it first came out, it wasn't that great. They have modules now, which actually help keep you and give you that structure. They've rewritten the rule book. This game is fun. This game is awesome. I love Myth. Well, I'll be honest. I don't know anything about Myth. So... I mean, I, I know you've explained some of your favorite things about it, but just walk me through what does a turn look like? Okay, actually, it's a great thing. Their turns are really interestingly designed. So let's say you got two characters. You've got an archer and a warrior. Okay, there you go. you both got two different decks of cards having totally different actions. The ar- archer is gaining ammo, shooting arrows. Uh, the warrior is obviously doing melee attacks, doing sweeping blows, things like that. And as you're playing these, you're gaining darkness based on the actions you're doing. You can do any actions anytime. It's a totally fluid co-op system. But as soon as the darkness meter hits a certain point, that's when the monsters activate. So you kind of want to work together to try to figure out when you want those monsters to activate. When that happens, you draw a darkness card. It tells you how they all activate. It tells you what's going to happen with the different layers, how many different things are going to spawn, how they're going to spawn. It's going to tell you how the enemies react. So you're not always going to know how they're going to react. Then after that is done, the meter resets, and you just continue on with your actions. And as soon as you're done playing your cards for that turn, then you gain one darkness, everybody can pick up some new cards, and you start the whole system again until you're able to clear that tile or move into what is considered the next part of that module or quest thing that you're working on. So every action you do costs points, and that builds toward this enemy AI activating. Correct. Most cards do. Of course, the bigger your action, like if you're doing a sweeping blow that takes out like four guys, that's probably going to raise your meter about three just because it's a more powerful attack, so it's going to trigger the darkness faster, where if I'm doing just gain an arrow, that's going to do me no darkness because it's kind of a freebie action. Of course, as you get through like certain parts of the module, it'll tell you to level up. The way you're leveling up is you're taking better cards and replacing them in your deck, so your deck is becoming more of a 
your characters becoming more powerful, and then once they reach a certain point, they can branch into two different types of characters. So your priest could become either a necromancer or like a holy bolt-throwing healing cleric. So in that way, you get a whole new set of decks of cards that, of course, are going to level up even more and more. Their plan was to go to this master system. Right now, they only got the journeyman. They actually had two more expansions planned, but of course, MegaCon Games collapsed. It's now in Ulysses Fields' hands, and we'll see what they're actually going to do with it. Wow. All right. Well, thank you for the mini review of Myth. All right. So if this is interesting to any of you, join the Slack, reach out to Barrett, and have him walk you through the best <laughs> way to play this game, because that's what we're going to do. Yeah. There you <laughs> I go. I support that. All right. So moving on. Steve, how about you? What was your top game of 2014? So like I mentioned before, I had three games that kind of were on the same level for me. Those three games were Pandemic the Cure, Captain's Dead, and Samurai Spirit. Pandemic the Cure... I felt like it was a really good approach at streamlining what Pandemic did. And it's got Dyson, so it's a little bit swingy, but it's quick to play. And it's, I don't know, I still have it. It's fun. I can play with my son. It's easy for him to actually move the pieces around. Uh, the Captain's Dead is all about, you know, like Star Trek in a board game form, but not actually Star Trek. Where Captain's Dead on the, the ship, and you're playing all different roles trying to do different things. And this one is interesting because there are two additional episodes after this a.k.a. standalone expansions, in a sense. Well, not really expansions, more standalone games. But and it, it kind of continues the storyline from there. And finally, you have Samurai Spirit, which we don't really hear people talk about. It was the follow-up to Ghost Stories from Antoine Bauza. And it's kind of got a lot of negative reviews just because on its face, it's kind of like cooperative blackjack. But if you really dig into it, it's all about doing combos, and it's based upon the Seven Samurai movie. But between those three games... Uh, one of them I would probably pick is The Captain's Dead, and I'd probably pick that one just because when I have people coming over and I have a large groups, I can pull that out, and it's easy for people to pick up and play. It does play at higher play counts pretty well, so that's really nice. And I just had really good experience with this one, with teaching to lots of different people. All right, well, I'm not going to poop on your whole list, so um, if you want to hear Mike and I's opinion on it, listen to an earlier podcast that we did on Captain is Dead. Oh, I didn't, I didn't think we hated Captains of the Dead, did we? <laughs> I, no, I'm just kidding. I, I can't even remember. <laughs> I'm just giving Steve a hard time. <laughs> I have very unique tastes, so it's fine. <laughs> but no, I love Star Trek, so I uh, at one point I decided my goal was to watch every episode out there, and it took me a number of years, but I finally did. Um, I still don't have that accolade, because I have to watch the stuff that's on CBS, but eventually I'll catch back up. All right, I was going to congratulate you, but keep working, man. Keep working. <laughs> <laughs> keep the dream alive, Steve. All right, Mike, how about you? So, uh, like Berndt, I had a Legendary Encounter Alien on my list. But besides that, my other two are not on anybody else's list so far. Although I think, Peter, you might have one of them, at least in contention. Uh, so for me, it was between Legendary Encounters, uh, Galaxy Defenders, which is the sort of previous game to Sword and Sorcery, and I still prefer it to Sword and Sorcery. And uh, the kind of dark horse one for me is Assault on Doom Rock, which, if you haven't heard of it, is this crazy, like, takes way too long to play, insanely ambitious game with, like, no board. Uh, it's kind of like a leveling adventure game, like, with dungeon crawler, kind of tactical combat, but there's no board and, like, everything is, movement is all based on who you're next to or not next to. But uh, it has this really cool, like, dice activation system and... Yeah, if you can't guess, that is my choice. Assault on Doomrock, for as long as it is, uh, I did trade away my copy because it was just too hard to get to the table. 
But if you're thinking about like a unique design, that is probably the most unique design out of this year. I think that game has amazing mechanics. I wish they'd found a way to make it a little bit quicker to play and a little bit less fiddly in parts. But still, just the design of that uh, consistently impresses me. And I'm just like, man, how the heck do you even make this stuff happen? So Assault on Doomrock, my odd little choice for 2014. That surprised me, actually. I thought Galaxy Defenders was going to take it for you. I play that more solo. I think it's fine uh, cooperative, but I think uh, Salt and Doomrock lends itself even better to co-op play. All right. Well, mine was down to two games, and Assault on Doomrock was definitely one of them. I still have it, by the way, Mike, so you're more than welcome to borrow it whenever you want. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't mind doing a ch- uh, playthrough of it, maybe, just to kind of show people what the heck it's all about. Sure, and I agree with everything you said. And to be honest, if it wasn't so long and fiddly, and even if I didn't upgrade it with the expansion, quote-unquote upgrade it with the expansion, I might have liked it better. But they started adding terrain and all this other stuff in the expansion. It just got... A, a fiddly game became more fiddly with the expansion, so I almost wish I would retroactively go back and pull all my stuff out. I think I'd get it to the table more. But yeah, each battle took like 45 minutes to an hour, And it just shouldn't take that long when you have three battles in the game. So I love that game. I mean, it was really up there. It almost took this year for me. But just the fiddliness pushed it out. And my number one is Legendary Encounters Alien. I did not like Marvel Legendary. The more I played it, the more I did get to like it. But Legendary Encounters, with a simple change of the cards coming out face down and you have to explore them, and then the locations actually mattering... And I'm sure that Marvel Legendary has done a lot of the things and taken a lot of the things from it, but Legendary Encounters was the first one to do it, and they made a story out of each of the chapters, and so just thematically, this game is great. Now, don't get me wrong, there are, I, I still have problems, so this isn't my favorite year, but all in all, I think Legendary Encounters, if you want to relive Alien the movie in card format, I think it does a great job. I love you, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad you picked that one. Now, is that because Why of his that? choice or just uh, just because you love him? Because of his choice, I think it's great. That's uh, I, I just I, that would would have made the list if Myth wasn't here because it's just I, I just love that game so much and I love the theme. I love the way it worked. Just like basically everything you just said. Yes, yes. It was my number two. I just uh, the only like major negative I have with it is that uh, it has that same kind of, I think, bare bones, dumb deck building of all the legendary games <laughs> where like I never feel like anything really happens or any major ch- combos uh, are achieved, but I still enjoy the game otherwise. Yeah, I'll be honest. It's not mechanisms that make me love this game. It's the feel of the game. And I'll say that none of the other legendary encounters did nearly as well as Alien because I don't think any of them fit in the universe as well. It is a tense deck building game where you are scared of every card flip. And that is Aliens written all over it. 007 doesn't have that. Firefly doesn't have that. Even Predator doesn't have that. The, the theme and the mechanics fit perfectly for Alien, and I think that's why it's the best Legendary Encounters, and I think it's why everybody likes that game. All right, so that topped our list for the longest year so far, so let's move on to 2015. I'll start this one off, and I'll try to keep it a little bit shorter. Uh, this one was interesting for me. Uh, there's some really good stuff in here. I considered uh, Warhammer Quest, the adventure card game. I was really into that for a while. I considered Mysterium, which is fun uh, with a big group. I did not consider Time Stories, because I don't really like that game, generally speaking. But the one that jumped to the top for me is one that I've only played recently. 
And <laughs> if I'm being totally honest, I have not actually played it co-op, but I just think this game is so crazy and ridiculous and fun that I imagine when I play it co-op, it'll be a lot of fun as well. And that is Kingdom Death Monster, the stupidly expensive, <laughs> ridiculously crazy, wacky game from Poots or whatever his name is. Uh, yeah, Kingdom Death Monster. It's uh, ridiculous, but I think it's a fun design in the most insane way possible. Uh, if I had to pick a runner-up that did not cost $400, I would go with Pandemic Legacy Season 1. I actually didn't get to play a lot of it, but I think Legacy games are pretty cool, and I got the sense that it's a pretty amazing experience if you get to go through the entire thing. How about you, Berent? I imagine you're uh, thinking of the same top game as me. Oh, you read my mind, man. KDM, KDM, oh, yeah. I mean, that was the if, one. If anyone hasn't it's noticed, so you good. do playthroughs nonstop on the channel for it, man. <laughs> We're going until we die, or we win. Most likely die. That's probably what's going to happen. Yes, this game is fantastic. Um, If you saw my top ten video, uh, it's the only game I've played in a long time that pretty much spans like almost every genre on the planet. I mean, you're looking at civilization building, you're looking at character development, you're looking at crafting, you're looking at fighting monsters. It's uh, you're looking at just hunting. It's it's got everything. It's out of control. And for me, being a miniatures person, I love being able to create miniatures. I'm actually creating one right now for the new gear that we got for our playthrough that I'm doing on the channel. I'm making a new guy that's going to look just like the guy that we're we just got that i'm going to be able to make and i love doing that love making them love painting them love getting them to the table the monsters are out of control i love how it's almost always different of course some of the drawbacks are it, you sometimes fight the same monster quite a bit and it can get a little bit repetitive but being able to get all that stuff and bring it back to the civilization and never knowing what's going to happen there kind of really keeps this game alive as you're going through it so yes kingdom death by adam poots fantastic of course there's also some really great games on this and i'm sure some of the other guys are going to pick those so we'll let steve go ahead and tell us what you like man baron you know I, I wish you lived near me i bet i could like get you to help me construct these miniatures i i have not put anything together besides i actually I haven't put anything together i just i'm using the stuff because i bought a used copy that someone else already put together so i'm like oh it's it's a ram no nah, it's just another lion that, that's a lion oh oh it's it's a giant swordsman now nah, he's also a lion <laughs> i'm just like right, hold on a second for, for anybody who's listened to us in the past knows that mike also did the same with gloomhaven so don't let him fool you he would do this even if he had 50 miniatures put together he would totally just play with the same one over and no, over no 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 because it was gloomhaven, easier to set up and play gloomhaven is a nightmare to set up dude there's like there's like six or seven monsters in this game if i had the like three big monsters put together i would use the correct one like they have different base sizes and stuff it's actually kind of annoying to not use them i just don't know how to build miniatures <laughs> well bring them over here nicholas loves assembling miniatures miniatures and painting them now so are you, you are you get... sure you want your child to paint things with like phalluses all over them i mean he has one so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh quote quote of the podcast oh, right there that's amazing oh wow i mean it won't be a shock to him he knows what it looks like we're good <laughs> all right well, well peter what, what's your favorite based on uh, that comment <laughs> So my favorite from the year, and you know, I haven't played Kingdom Death yet, and based on what you guys are saying, I would actually probably like it even more than Mike, I would guess, now that now that we're talking about it, because I love civilization building games, I love collecting loot, I love tactical combat, so it would probably be right up my alley. So Mike, we do need to play this game at least once. I mean, you know, I, I, in the next I can year, bring right? it over to your house, I just might, you know, give myself a hernia doing it, so there's that to consider. But that doesn't bother me. That's on you. <laughs> Good point. 
All right, so there are some good ones in this year, and actually, I mean, Brogo Brothers, Mysterium, and, you know, I was talking to somebody who played Mysterium the other day, actually. A little bit of a side story. I was playing a Keyforge in a tournament, and one of the ladies I was playing with was talking to me, because she knows we do a co-op podcast, and she listens, and she was saying that she had just played Mysterium, and she's like, yeah, but the people pick this and that and the other, and I totally forgot. The way we play Mysterium, we don't play with the U.S. version. We actually got the Polish version from Portal Games before the U.S. version even came out. So I've never played with the U.S. rules, and they sound like a nightmare. Like, it's one of those games where they've added complication to, like, make it better for gamers. But if you can find those original rules, I feel like it would be a better game just playing it that way. So that's my little caveat for Mysterium. I've never actually played the U.S. version of Mysterium. I've played the U.S. version of it. It works fine. It's... It's not the fun part of the game. I think that's what everyone doesn't like about it. Because it's like, well, why am I doing this? Why not just cut it out? Because obviously the Polish version cut it out. Yeah, and that's the bottom line. Like, the reason you play Mysterium is to try to figure out what the different things are. It is not to, like, prove that you're smarter than everybody else at the table. I mean, co-op players hate that. So I don't know why they added something like that into a co-op game. I mean, those people maybe wanted a semi-co-op, and that's why they did it. But... I would take out all those extra junky rules and just, like, try to guess what the weapon is and what the location is and all that, and I think you'll have more fun. One that I don't know that will get mentioned if I don't mention it, so I'll put it in here now, is Xenoshift. I actually really like that game, and there's an app out, and I think it's great. It isn't my favorite deck builder co-op game of all time, but I think it did a really good job. It gave you reason to help other people. Different people had different specialties that they did. It's a really tough co-op. It does a really good job, I think, with the deck building. It made your characters feel unique, which is very different than some deck builders. And so, I don't know. I liked it. I thought it did a good job of that like town defense deck building system. But my number one, without question, by a mile, is Pandemic Legacy Season 1. It is so good. It... it it is one of the top co-op games of all time. I will say if I had never played it, and if you had never played a co-op game, I would say go out and buy this, no questions asked, because you can play regular Pandemic with it, and I would suggest you do this. If you've never played Pandemic, I would play it as normal Pandemic at least 10 times before you start the campaign. That'll make you enjoy the campaign, I think, even more. So use it as regular Pandemic, and then work your way up to the legacy part of it, it's just a, such a good job of not only is Pandemic such a streamlined game that they could tack complexity onto very well, but it also is just such a good legacy system. The story was great. The additions were great. They never overwhelmed me or made me feel bored because I felt like I was doing the same thing. It was just the right level for me. And I mean, obviously most people as well, because it was the number one game on BGG for a while. It's still in the top three. So great game. By the way, Peter, a quick note, uh, Mysterium's Polish version came out in 2013, so if we had included that, we would have uh, pushed that year slightly uh, higher and better, I think. Wow, that would have been tough, that versus Eldritch Horror. I don't know which one I would have picked, but I don't have to, so moving on. (laughs) So I'll jump in here with the 2015 pick. There's a lot of games on here that I still play and still enjoy. Uh, One that I played recently was XCOM. I played that at Gen Con. And this is a fragile game. I feel like it's going to either succeed or fail with different groups. But when I played with Colin and Terrence, we had a phenomenal time. It was so much fun. But I know that dice can be pretty brutal. I also have The Grizzled. I'm a huge fan of that one as a portable game. Something about the game just sings with me. It's really fun. But 
one game I would pick on this list that stood out to me back then. So, like, in, if you asked me 2015 what was my game of the year, it would definitely be Pandemic Legacy Season 1. And I'll just say with what Peter mentioned, that experience is phenomenal. I'm not a huge fan of the mechanics of Pandemic, and I have some issues with some the luck in it a little bit. But the experience we had with playing with my wife, it was amazing. In fact, I have it mounted on a board in that's my cool. game room. So that's really fun. But if I were to pick now, the game I like the most, and I can't play Pandemic Legacy Season 1 anymore, obviously, because it's consumable, but that's going to be Runebound. Uh, Runebound came out, and it was a competitive game originally, but eventually got Unbreakable Bonds. And when it got Unbreakable Bonds, it really felt like it felt right to me. And I love the the whole open world exploration. I love finding combos between buying these equipment and how this whole world just comes together. It's really, really fun for me. Unfortunately, this one is out of print. and Yeah, you can get the base game pretty cheaply, but the expansion that actually makes it co-op is the, uh, the sticking point there. Right. Wow, that's crazy because... I would have imagined they wouldn't have sold out of those. So that's a shame. Well, they probably didn't print very many because they always print fewer expansions than base games. So I think they sold out of what they had, maybe, you know. I gotcha. That's a shame because that is a good one, too. All right. So 2016, Mike, why don't you lead us off this time? And you cannot say Salvation Road. Yes. uh, So a little game called Salvation (laughs) Road, our uh, first published co-op game uh, came out this year, but I won't select our own game. (laughs) I mean, I wouldn't anyway. I I love that game. I love what we did with it, but it is not the best for me of this year. Uh, So there are a lot of games. This is one of the most stacked games, I think. Uh, You have Mansions of Madness 2nd Edition with the app, which is great. Uh, Mechs vs. Minion is a lot of fun. I really enjoy uh, One Deck Dungeon, although mainly for solo play. But the two that came to the top for me are Aeon's End and Arkham Horror LCG. And uh, anyone who knows me knows that Arkham Horror is going to be the top if you include expansions. But if it's just core to core comparison, I think Aeon's End has also benefited from really good expansion content. But I, well, actually, I don't know. If it's just core to core, I might still say Arkham. But Aeon's End is definitely nipping on its heels. Now, with all the extra stuff in Arkham and the deck building you can do now, it's definitely top of the pack. But uh, yeah, the year it was released, it would have been tough to pick between them. Well, I mean, I, I don't think you can do core to core with an LCG. Because to be honest, what were the three missions that came out in the core? You couldn't have played those five million times. I mean, no core LCG is going to win out over a full-fledged game. You need to buy a couple of expansions to really fill them out. And so I think if you look at Arkham with its first cycle... That's more comparable, you know? Well, like Arkham with its first cycle compared to just Aeon's End or Aeon's End with the first, like, three expansions, but not War Eternal. I mean, yeah, yeah. No, I guess. no, just... I, I don't think an LCG is a full game until it gets its first full cycle. So that compared to a base game, I think, is a more fair comparison. It might be a more fair comparison, but then you got to take into account uh, <laughs> that playing Arkham and its cycle costs you... I don't know, like $150 to $180 for everything up to the first cycle. Whereas uh, Aeon's End is a great game for like 50 or 60 bucks. So Aeon's End it is. All right, moving on. <laughs> All right, Baron, how about you? Oh, for me, this one's pretty easy. It's got to be probably one of the deck best deck builders I've ever played. It has great card destruction. You're never fighting the same enemy twice. And besides, every, the, as the market grows, you're always going to see new cards. And that's Harry Potter Hogwarts Battle. Okay, that's not true. Not true. Dude, I was about to say, I was like, what are you talking about? I I, I almost pooped myself. Is is this real life? (laughs) 
<laughs> I will say that actually I have played all of Harry Potter Hogwarts. We've even played the expansions. Of course, my wife's a huge Harry Potter fan. We've got a couple that's a big Harry Potter fan. They bring their wands over. They do the spells while they're playing. So it's a really fun game in that aspect. Is the game good? No, not at all. <laughs> so we're going to go with Arkham Horror, the, le- the legendary <laughs> card game. That yeah, even, even when you're talking just base box, I still think that's one of the best ones on this list. I Even playing just the base box with some friends to show them how it works, we have a great time. It's it's a great game. And as you said, expansion on expansion has just made this better. It's I like the fact that you can bring this to people, they can play it, and then afterwards you can be like, oh, you can put a couple new cards instead of saying like, okay, build this crazy huge deck, good luck, now let's go on to the next mission. It's a lot easier to get people into this one. The story is phenomenal. I love the way they do those story things. The debate goes on and on about all the different living card games, but that's one of the ones I like, and it's it's right here in this this year. So, ta-da, it's going to make the list. <laughs> but I will say we had a good time playing Harry Potter. I know a lot of people don't really go for it, and it wasn't really that well done, I have to admit. But anyway, that's beyond the point. Who's next? Steve, let's do it. What's your top game? So this year is when I started actually keeping track of my game of the years. So this one I actually do know. There's a lot of good games on this one. I had a lot of fun with this year. Uh, one of them stood out to me, and it's not one that anyone's going to pick. <laughs> so, But uh, I will say that Black Orchestra is something that no, no one's going to mention, but I do enjoy that game. I still play it today. In fact, I had it sitting out next to me. I want to get that to the table again pretty soon. I think it's a really interesting take on that his, part of history. But for me, game of the year was V Commandos. I say that because I love stealth games. And this one, it just does a lot of smart design choices, in my opinion. Especially with how he manages the map. The map is so easy to build. Like, we always complain about our dungeon crawlers where, oh, i got to find this thing and how to organize it and this specific piece. Nope, that's all all solved in V Commandos. It's either indoor or outdoor tile. There's like three sizes, and you're, you're done. It's so easy to set this up and take it down. And the scenarios are really well designed. They all feel very different, very cinematic. And it's fun to, like, for me to set up these traps and trigger these huge cascade of events trying to achieve the scenario on hand. Some of them where you're in a barn and enemies are coming from all angles and you have to have to destroy their, their spawn point. Another one where you're in an underground base and the whole base is collapsing, tiles are falling down behind you, you have to escape. Uh, yeah, it's a blast. Yeah, cool. Uh, that one did not sit as well with me, but, you know, again, I can't poop on your whole list. So Wasn't that, a lot, wasn't <laughs> that could... mainly rules, Peter? Like you had trouble getting the rules right? Yeah, yeah. That again. So that's a common theme with me. It wasn't English published game first, and so yeah, I didn't understand what they were talking about with like map tiles. They really, or when they said maps, they really meant one tile, not a whole map. So I just got confused with with some of the rules, and it just took me out of it. But I can see where there's a fun game in there. Yeah, I got. I was pretty fortunate in that I was able to demo it with a designer at Gen Con before I backed this one. Or late back to at this point. So I was able to circumvent those, but I know exactly what you're talking about. The uh, choice of words aren't the best. And there are some issues with it where I feel like it would go a long way if they had a little more mitigation in it. But yeah, for what it tries to achieve, it does a really good job with a streamlined approach. I agree. Yeah, no, it does very streamlined approach to tactical combat. Very puzzly. It is a game that should be right up my alley, but I just struggle with the rules so much that that's the part that turned me off. But no, it's it's a great game, and if you're willing to get through it, I don't think it will take you that many missions to get through also. I think you play it one or two times and look up FAQs, and you'll be able to play it no problem. So no, that's a good choice. 
There's a lot of good games this year. This was not my toughest year, but there are a lot of good ones. Mike mentioned Arkham. Mike mentioned Mansions of Madness. I think that would be at the top of a lot of people's list. Mechs vs. Minions came out this year. I mean, talk about value pick. That is probably the top one out there. Project Elite, I still love that game. If you like real-time dice rolling, similar to the way Escape Curse of the Temple is played, but with aliens and monsters and fighting, it's awesome. My second pick, though, the one that was the closest, is the Exit series. I still love these games, and we just played one this past weekend, Mike, and it was great. I just I love these games. But number one, it's obvious for me. It's Aeon's End. I mean, it's my favorite deck-building game. It is one of my favorite co-ops of all time. I love the variety in there. I love the way the different enemies are always different, and there's not much more I can say about it. If you want to hear more, listen to almost every other episode we do, because I talk about it a lot. Yeah. yeah, and I was going to say, I feel like I can rush through these next three uh, years because I've talked about these games already in our top 20 co-op list. And yeah, not going to be too many surprises for the rest of the games, at least from on my side. Yep, me either. So let's go into 2017. Mike, what's your not surprise of 2017? Uh, so uh, some great games. I-, I did like Seventh Continent. I know Peter did not. I'm a big fan of Magic Maze because I like limited communication in real time. Uh, one of my things, the Unlock series started this year. I friggin' love Unlock. Exit is good. I think Unlock is better. Uh, the Deckscape series started. So this is really like between 2016 and 2017 is when sort of that like exit room kind of craze of games started uh, they're all awesome but yeah my my number one and number two are spirit island and gloomhaven and i'm gonna vote the same way i did in our top co-op of all time episode uh, for me i think gloomhaven is great awesome dungeon crawler really great stuff the campaign the encounters the different characters the card play it's awesome but uh, spirit island is one of my top games of all time it is amazing love the variety and the spirits uh, definitely my number one for 2017 Well, I'll quickly jump into because I'm going to go the same way as you. Now, Unlock was really close for me. I mean, this was one of those I didn't decide until just now. And I'm still not sure that I'm happy with my decision because I love Unlocks. The only negative I will say about Unlock is I played some bad ones. There are good ones and bad ones. And that's the same with all of these escape room games. But most of them I just love. And I'll, I'll tell you, I can't wait for the next expansion. So... If it's going on, like, which expansion would I buy more likely, it's going to be unlocked. No questions asked. I will buy the next unlock no matter what it is, and I will keep playing them, and I will keep loving them, I'm sure. But, again, there's going to be some duds in there. Whereas Spirit Island, I feel like we have a a lot of content for it, and I don't feel like I need it anymore. But every time I play that game, I have fun. So, for me, Spirit Island's going to go to the top of the list. Certainly Gloomhaven was in contention. Deckscape was in contention. I think I like that game more than most. Not quite up to unlock standards, but certainly if I wanted to introduce someone to an escape room game, I think Deckscape would be a more accessible version of the escape room games and something you're never going to get frustrated with because you either you look at the answer and you either got it or you don't. So that is one of the things I like about Deckscape. But for me, it's Spirit Island this year. So yeah, there's a lot of good games this year. I feel like this was the year of the heavy hitters, where I remember on Kickstarter when it was Gloomhaven, Seventh Continent, and Sword and Sorcery like were all about the same time. I'm like, man, ugh, if I had way more money, I would totally get all these games with everything. But yeah, that, it was it was a great year when these all came out for sure. I do enjoy Sword and Sorcery as we mentioned before, and I love the improvements coming to it, which could be more of an open world uh, adventure. Some crafting, so I'm looking forward to that when it comes out. Well, whenever it comes out. (laughs) It was always hard to produce, for sure. 
Nebo's War is one I enjoy a lot. It is not good co-op at all. Do not play this co-op. But as a solo experience, it's phenomenal if you like adventure. It's got a good, like, Euro twist to it with some mirror trash and even some war gaming going on there. It's got, like, a mix of all three of those kind of styles. But for me, easy choice. Number one game, Spirit Island. I absolutely love this game. I will never get tired of it. So much to explore in it. Big fan. Well, that leaves me, and since uh, I haven't played Spirit Island, I'll go with Gloomhaven. How about that? I was about that? to say, I, I bet Fairtest hasn't even played it. <laughs> I, 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 That's I right, I haven't that. played it. There, you know, you need that campaign, you need growth in your characters. No, I'm, actually, I've heard so many good things about it, I really want to try it. I know a few people that have it, I just haven't had a chance to really get it to the table to try it with them. I'm sure any of these people would be more than happy to play it with me. But for right now, I'm going with Gloomhaven 2017. Like uh, all of you have said, this uh, there's a lot of pretty good games on here, but I'm still playing Gloomhaven. I got a group I play it with. We have a blast every time we get together. Uh, I mean, of course, we kind of house-ruled a few things here and there. I don't know how many people do, I'm guessing many, but... We've house ruled a couple things just to make it a little bit more fun for ourselves, and that's really what gaming's all about. So Gloomhaven makes this list at for me, and it is my 2017. And I don't really have anything else to say about it because I think a hundred thousand people have already said a lot about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's great. <laughs> all right, uh, Peter, you're usually pulling up the near the end of the list here. You want to start off 2018? I mean, come on, guesses, Barrett. Let's start with you. What's your what do you think my top game of 2018 is? Let's see here. Let's find the worst one on the list and say what it is. Actually, I'm not sure. You've got two on that list that could make it for you. I, I know there's two on that list that you are a strong, strong supporter of, and it's it's going to be between the mind and just one for you. So oh, it's got to be in the mind. You can't pick just one over the mind. You can't have two tragedies in a row on this podcast, Peter. <laughs> what do you think, Steve? I have to say the mind. Of course it's the mind. The mind is such a good game. I like just one. Don't get me wrong, but I don't even know that it would have been... Yeah, maybe it would have been number two on this. Oh, Deep Madness is there, too. I, I don't know. So those three are my top choice, certainly. But uh, the mine, far and away, even of great games, I, I just think it's so far above and beyond any of these things and something I know I'm going to be playing for years and years. And it's so stupid. I mean, <laughs> to say one of my favorite games of all times is as stupid as it is and as easy as it is to play and is like the rules are just goofy. But it works, and I don't know why, and I hate it, but I love it. So, the mine, my number one for sure. All right, Barrett, you didn't say a lot about your last one. Let's see if you got more to say about your 2018 game. I do, because it's not on everybody's list. Um, I'm, I could have you guys guess this one, but I'm going to guess you'll guess right. My number 2018 is going to be Nemesis. Awaken Realms is entering to the age of co-op games, and I'm a huge Awaken Realms fan. Nemesis is fantastic. Again, Aliens theme. Huge Alien fan. Love all the mechanics in it. I know not everybody does. I love the whole sound mechanic where you're not sure what's going to be around any corner. The one thing, of course, I don't have a big, I am not too fond of is the fact that you don't know what your ship looks like. How long have you been on the ship? I mean, that's the only thing I'm not a big fan <laughs> oh, of. Oh man, it's a uh, hibernation sickness. You, 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 you it, that, just they, it's funny that they do mention that in the rules. They do mention that they had hibernation sickness and they only know where the engines and the co cockpit is and in the hibernatorium. They don't remember whatever everything else is on the ship. So at least they do put in the rules why the deal is going on but love the combat system again that's another one people aren't a big fan of not is every alien doesn't have a set amount of hit points you never know when you get that kill shot i think that adds the tension and the like whole survival to this thing your resources are limited you only have a certain amount of bullets unless you find more you got to know if you want to take that shot or not is it worth it you don't even know love that system love everything about this game i think it's fantastic i played it semi-co-op 
loved it. Played a co-op, loved it. Played the campaign, loved it. Wished it was longer. It's about the only thing I kind of had a bad thing about is only four missions. But, you know, that's good enough for a game that's really supposed to be meant to play played semi-co-op. So Nemesis comes in. I love Nemesis. Such a good game. Yeah, I want to play that more because uh, we... Like I, I didn't get dig into the whole campaign with like the comic book and stuff, and it looked really cool. There, there was a lot of good stuff for me this year. Uh, Chronicles of Crime, I do enjoy. Detective, I surprised myself by enjoying uh, the LA expansion. I thought the core game was not good, but so far I like the LA expansion more. Uh, Barrett is giving me a look as I say this because he apparently does not agree, uh, and, and I know a lot, a lot of people do. A lot of people on the Slack really love that uh, core <laughs> detective thing. We just had like some group think that did not send us down a good path. Uh, City Kings was pretty cool. Pandemic Fall of Rome was good. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of good stuff. Uh, Deep Madness, like Peter has mentioned. Uh, the, uh, Renegade, I've only played it once. And I was like, eh, I don't know. But I just played it again today. Like, it was just sitting on my shelf staring at me. I was like, oh, I'm going to try Renegade. And I'm like, oh, this game's great. So sorry, Steve, that I haven't given it its fair due. Renegade is really cool. But I have to go with uh, one that nobody's mentioned yet, although I think it might be in contention for Steve, and that is Street Masters. My first uh, entry into Blacklist catalog with the Sadler Brothers. Uh, the Mind would probably be my number two just for co-op because I think the co-op is so much fun for that one, whereas some of these are better as solo. But Street Masters, uh, even without any of the expansions, I think even just with the core game, is a ton of fun. I really love the modular deck system. I do think it's done better in Alter Quest and Hour of Need. So if I was comparing those, I don't think Street Masters would be at the top. But for 2018, uh, as a big fan of that series, it's a favorite of mine. All right, Steve, so just you. Yeah, I'm last. I'll jump in here. So, yeah, there's a lot of really good games here. Renegade, I'm glad you played, uh, Mike. I, that's one that kind of flies beneath the radar. If you like Mage Knight, it's got that same puzzly feel to it. It's actually pretty well done. It's just... Hard to grok with the the language in it, but it's it's thematic. So for for what they're trying to do there. Well, and the thing that surprised me, sorry to jump in, it's so goofy how quickly you upgrade in that game. <laughs> like for for, the, sure. for those who haven't played, like the rule is you pay for card, like you pay for an upgraded card, and it goes straight to your hand, and you get rid of one of the cards you paid with. But a lot of the upgrades you can buy with a single crappy card. So you like literally will just upgrade your deck with no momentum loss whatsoever. You like to immediately continue your turn stronger than before you bought the card. I can't think of any other game that does that. Like, can any of you think of a game where you deck build and you have a more powerful turn? Like, you didn't have to spend some resources to do that deck building? It's definitely weird, but I'm, I'm really digging it. The closest thing I could think of is the, um, the one where you use coins, where it's separate. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, ba- Battle for Greyport. That, 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 that is probably the most similar in that it just happens automatically and you're not, like, spending your cards to do it. That's a good call. Yeah, and it goes right to your hand, too. So that's the closest thing I can think of, but no, nothing exactly the way you're describing it. Sorry, Steve. Back to you. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a great game. People, everyone needs to try it. It's, it's a, one of those hidden gems, I would say. But, yeah, a few of these on the list. A Pandemic Fall of Rome is my favorite Pandemic. I love it, the ancient history theme, and it was the style of play I wanted. Where the, at least for me, the luck wasn't quite as much of a factor. And one thing that you guys probably won't mention, but Seal Team Flicks came out that year too, and I'm a big fan of that one. It's a co-op dexterity game, which you don't have many of those, at least good ones, unfortunately. And that one is great for that. And I'm horrible at dexterity, but whatever. Yeah, I got to play that one with you someday, Steve. I got to come down to North Carolina and do it. Hey, you're always welcome. <laughs> and it's, it's surprising, too, in how much you have to think ahead. Because most of the time, 
I feel like I can get by with just thinking one turn ahead. But this game, I had to actually think two turns ahead at least to start doing well in that game. But yeah, that was surprising for what I would consider a light game because it's got the dexterity label on it. But that's not actually true, which is kind of fun. Anyway. Well, to be honest, if you hadn't covered it, it's a game I would have loved to play, but I couldn't justify playing it with the amount of games we have to play. It's got dexterity. It's got tactical combat. It's got a lot of stuff I love. I just, like I said, couldn't justify it after you reviewed it. Yeah, we'll come down and play it sometime. Maybe at Gen Con next year. <laughs> yeah, maybe. But yes, my number one game, it was surprising to me because I actually don't really care for the theme all that much. But the theme was fine, and mechanically it's awesome, and I just get into the cinematics to it. I feel like I'm playing a movie scene, and that is Street Masters. So I'm going to agree with Mike here, and that game is phenomenal. I can't get enough of it. In fact, over the past week here, I've vlogged another 10 plays of it. So as I'm getting through all the Aftershock stuff, so and I really like some of the new changes they have. Yeah, I haven't gotten into my Aftershock content yet, uh, just covering so many other games and designing our own, but I'm excited to one day. And just another honorable mention is The Reckoners from this year. I actually really like that game. That was the first game we were ever sent for a review copy, So, I mean, but that isn't what is influencing my decision here. <laughs> I, think the, I think the price point was wrong, right? I think they overproduced that game too much. I think it is not a $100 game. I think if they could have figured out a way to make it a $50 game, that people would have loved that game and a lot of people would have played it, but they have, you know, upgraded trays and I'm not saying it's not worth the money. If you want all that blinged out stuff, it definitely is. But the gameplay wasn't a hundred dollar game. It was a $50 game. And if they hadn't upgraded everything, I think people would have loved it. I mean, as nice as the components were, they were charging a chip theory games price and not for chip theory games quality <laughs> in terms of the components. So I, th- I still think it's, e- even as nice as the stuff was, I think it's still too expensive for what they gave you. Yep. All right. So, Barrett, we haven't heard from you in a while. What's your 2019? So we're current year. What's your game of the year this year? Well, if you listen to the podcast or you watch my top 10 video, it's, it's Madar. There's nothing that can take this one. Though, that tainted grail, that tainted grail is up there, and it is still fighting to take that spot. Even though 2019 is over, going to 2020, I, I can't see anything right now of taking Tainted Grail spot. I've only played a very small part, but I can see how awesome this game is. But nope, it's Madara. Madara was so much fun. That huge storyline, the th- the leveling system where you can kind of be anything you want, do whatever you want. It's it's got so much fun. I know it doesn't hit everybody's wonder list, but I love it. And if you want to hear more about it, you listen to the last podcast when we did our top 10 and it's on there. Plus my video itself tells y'all. So how about a hidden gem? Do you have anything that you haven't mentioned on any of these other podcasts? Yes, actually, Detective City of Angels. That's phenomenal. I have a group that plays it, and we play it co-op, completely co-op. And I know that when Mike did his review of it and everything, he said the co-op's fine, but it's a lot better when you have that uh, chisel guy going on. But we've actually really enjoyed this co-op system. We love the fact just read the little parts. And the thing that we like about it more than any of the other detective games is it's not like, oh, A, B, or C at the end. Did you type? Did you talk about this? Yes, no, is it this, this, this? No, you have to look at the back of the book. you got to add up all these numbers. You read something that's not that, you know you did it wrong. So it's not just like, oh, I'll just kind of randomly guess some of the endings and maybe I'll get it right. I mean, you really do have to know kind of what the deal is, and we really like that about it. Also, each one of those turns that you're taking, you have a limited number in co-op. You, They all kind of need to be focusing on what you're doing. Sometimes other detective games, you can kind of – 
go off kilter a little bit and it's okay you can come back but in this one you kind of really need to make sure we're focusing on what you have to focus on and we really enjoy that in city of angels it's been a really fun time playing it well mike i know you really like that one was that your top game of 2019 no i mean yeah if you've been paying attention to any of our videos or podcasts you know it's tainted grail but man this year like i'm just looking at the list of games i, I put together which are like kind of the top ranked ones for this year first of all i basically yeah i, I played every game on this list which definitely being a reviewer, much more, not full-time, but a much larger part of my time this year contributed to this. But yeah, I mean, just let me read down this list real quick. Tainted Grail, amazing. Marvel Champions, awesome. Journey's Middle-Earth, awesome. Aeon's End Legacy, just got this for me and my wife. I think uh, veteran Aeon's End players might not like it, but I am loving how it kind of like walks you through. So my wife kind of gets an easy introduction. The legacy elements are a lot of fun. That one's great. Horrified, great. Cthulhu Death May Die, great. Cloud Spire, I think that one's going to be not an automatic sell for everybody, but for me, great. Uh, U-Boot, uh, I'll let Steve talk about that because for me it was kind of a miss. <laughs> but... <laughs> But still, you know, pretty cool We're just game. Picking on Steve with these lists uh, today. Well, he, here's the funny thing: the, the game that I'm pretty sure both of them are going to pick as their favorite are the only ones on this list that aren't that great for me. Because U Boot, eh, it was okay. Madara, eh, it was okay. Uh, Zavaside Invader, great. Set a watch, okay. Actually, maybe that one's not so great. Uh, that one yeah. kind of lost its luster over some time. But yeah, Detective City of Angels, great. The Adventure Games from Cosmos, great. City Skylines, just played that for the first time, but really enjoying that. So a really good year of like top games. But yeah, I mean. What about uh, Aeon's End uh, New Age? Did you play that one? I have not played that. I'm, I'm excited to because I'm really enjoying Legacy. It's kind of reminding me how much I like Aeon's End. But uh, yeah, I'm going to go for Tainted Grail uh, out of uh, the ones that I talked about. Although Marvel Champions was probably my closest second, even with the core game. I, I think that is a great core game experience. I know some people are finding it too easy. That was not my experience, especially playing solo where things can be a little bit more challenging. Uh, yeah, it was not too easy for me. Well, and I will say that Marvel Champions is the exception to what I've said earlier as far as core games not being full games. Marvel Champions is a game you could play over and over. I've heard many, many people talking about playing 50 plus times just with the base content. So it is one that I think more than any the other LCGs can be played by itself. So that's For the sure. exception to my LCG rule. I agree completely. Yep, that one's got the best approach to the core set. It's also the most expensive, but... I think they finally did it right. Mike, do you have any of those games or any others that you haven't mentioned yet that is a surprise hit for you in 2019? Uh, I mean, the problem is that we've done a review of all of them, <laughs> either on the YouTube channel or the, the podcast. So I can't really say any of these. Um, oh, oh, I, actually, I got one that I have not done a review for yet, but definitely my surprise hit of 2019 um, I think it released in 2019. I, th I think it was officially available. And that is Quirky Circuits from Plaid Hat Games. That game is awesome. Uh, now, it is like sort of mic to a T. It is kind of limited communication. It's programming. It's a uh, frenetic, like, craziness. Basically, you're, like, programming these different robots to perform tasks cooperatively, but you can't see the cards you're playing. I love that crap. <laughs> it, it really is like, uh, for people who have heard me talk about it before, Space Alert is one of my favorite co-ops of all time. And this is, like, really quick, easy-to-play, Space Alert-ish. It, like, scratches that same vibe of uh, programming cooperatively with limited communication and stress. So, yeah, that, that's a surprise hit. I'm not going to get uh, video content for it until 2020. I've just been too busy. But I am loving the heck out of that game uh, played co-op. Plus, I have it. So you can't do a video when it's in my house. No, no, I took it back. I wanted to play it more. 
Check your shelf. Oh, dang it. <laughs> My kids asked for that, too. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'll, I'll give it back to you soon. I just want to do a video for it. Sure. Expect a review of that one coming soon. But, Steve, how about you? What was your top game in 2019? Let me guess. It was Journeys of Middle-Earth. <laughs> Sadly, I actually haven't played that one yet. No, you, you know what it is, Peter. Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah, we just covered this on the podcast, so no big surprise. Uh, I love Marvel Champions. It's great. But I did play Marvel Champions and U-Boat back-to-back, and that kind of solidified my choice that U-Boat is phenomenal. I love this game. It is amazing. I know Mike played a bit of it. We played a training one and saw uh, a little bit of what it does, but I did play it later on with Elijah, and we did this mind-laying scenario where you actually have to stay in stealth. You, get, you lose points if they ever get spotted. And, oh, my gosh, it was amazing. Where we were traveling along the coastline, and, you know, push on your luck a little bit because we knew there was radar nearby, or potential radar nearby. <laughs> and 15 minutes before we were going to, to dive, because we were keeping track of our time, because we had, you have to do this for navigation purposes, we get spotted. And we dive down there, we go down to critical depth, and we're just sitting down there quiet at the table, hearing the creaking of our, of our sub. And we hear the ping, like, oh, crap, what do we do now? And it was so crazy because uh, next door, or in the room next door, was the kitchen. And they were talking, whatever. And we're like, oh, my gosh, I, we don't know what's going on. We have these, these depth charges heading in here. Boom, boom, boom. It's closer and closer. Your heart's beating your chest. It does something that no other board game does. It is amazing. The bad thing about it is it's app-based, so not everyone likes apps, but it's fine for me. And it does take a long time to play. But now they have a save feature. I can play it. I can save it. I can walk away and come back to the end table. But yeah, it is amazing. Yeah, and I should say everything that uh, Steve described is great. And I love all the simulation elements. Really, the stuff that I didn't like was the gamification. Like, I didn't like the worker placement and stuff as much. But the, yeah, the actual, like, calculating your course and, like, shooting at things and finding, like, the correct firing angle and stuff, those things that I think a lot of players might not enjoy, I was all in for that stuff. So I think the really unique and cool design in terms of that. Yeah, the worker placement is just your kind of run-the-mill run stuff. It's about being efficient, so you have different guys who are efficient at different tasks, so you want to utilize them in, in that uh, capacity, but you do have some flexibility in how that works. Yeah, without having played it, I think I would like worker placement, because I do like worker placement, and not necessarily like all the calculating of all the things and angles, and yes, I took lots of high-level math classes, because I was an engineering major, but I don't want to do that now, in, at this point in my life. It was funny because after our game, uh, Elijah and I were talking and, well, well, we messaged back and forth like, yeah, right now I'm looking through the tactile guy trying to figure out what we could have done in that situation to get out of it. And he was at the same time watching a documentary trying to figure out some other, other submarine tactics. So the fact that after the game we're doing like this fun research for ourselves really t sells the game for me. That's too. awesome. That is cool. That is very cool. So how about hidden gems? Did you have anything that you didn't cover on the podcast that you came into this year that you're just like, man, this is this game people should know about? Yeah, there was a couple of them. I mentioned on the previous podcast. I'll just mention them here briefly if you didn't catch that episode. But the New Age was a huge surprise for me. So it's Aeons Not, and New Age, right? Yes, thank you. Aeons and New Age. Because it added the expedition, expedition mode, which made the game for me. It really sets it apart for me. I love it. And then the other one that was interesting was City Skylines. I didn't expect to like it. In fact, I didn't like it at first. But one has played it enough, especially co-op, it really started clicking for me. So that was really fun as well. But I don't know if this came out in this year, but uh, Mike did give me his copy of Tournament Fishing. And I tend to shy away from deck builds because I feel like I have enough of them. 
But something about this game, the multi-use cards, the excitement of like flipping on cards and figuring out what Fisher were, was really fun. I could punch this out in like 30 minutes and put it away and be satisfied. So that was a, a big surprise. Yeah, tournament fishing felt just like fishing to me. Which is a good all, or bad thing for you. <laughs> all the excitement of fishing. <laughs> yes. Okay, got it. <laughs> Let me just say I'm not I'm not a professional fisherman, so you probably know where I stand on that. Yeah. Well, to be honest, I'm not a really big in, on fishing either, but the game itself was fun for me, so. Yeah, so I guess I have the only 2019 top game that people didn't know because just one would did not come out in 2019, it was 2018. So of course, you can go to my number two game and probably figure it out. So that was Marvel <laughs> Champions. <laughs> oh, I, I'm surprised. I thought it would be uh, Journeys of Middle-Earth. Yeah. You know, after playing them more, and it's funny. So since we last recorded, I've played more Marvel Champions. And uh, Captain America came out, Ms. Marvel came out, and Green Goblin came out. And I was a little disappointed because I didn't love Ms. Marvel, but I know some people do. Captain America, I thought, was super strong and super good. And I thought the first Green Goblin mission wasn't the best, although I had a really fun time with the second Green Goblin one. So it's kind of mixed with the expansions with me so far, but I just see the potential there, and I don't think there are going to be many more misses, and I think they're going to learn from their mistakes, and I think some of this stuff was probably designed... I mean, I I have to imagine most of it was designed before the base game came out, and so I, I just... I see the potential here, and again, knowing me... I want something that's going to have longevity and I see this game being around for the next 10, 15 years. And some of the others I don't, although I'm super excited just today, I heard journeys in middle earth expansion announced. So I'm excited about that one. I hope that one does stick around and I hope they do nail the theme a lot better with this first expansion, first big expansion. Yeah. Champions is really fun. I was able to play Ms. Marvel recently. She's tricky to play, but man, she has a lot of potential thought of some interesting like control decks you can build with her captain america i agree is really powerful and and i haven't played the first green goblin scenario because well everyone said it wasn't very good and <laughs> i went to the second one but the second one's good so yeah i i think i mostly agree with your your points there peter yeah no, no the second one's great so my surprise hit of the year so if you listen to our end of the year episode we actually recorded it several weeks ago so i do have some updates since then is Mental Blocks. My kids and I have been playing that a lot lately, and I've just had a blast with it. I guess it's not that much of a surprise because I was looking forward to it. Who knows? Maybe my 2020 game of the year. (laughs) Probably not, but uh, I have enjoyed it. So it's very similar to a game called Team 3 that we played and described in our last episode. So I'll let you go back to our PAX episode to hear more about that. Very similar in a lot of ways, but very different in a lot of ways as well. I think it's probably got more replayability to it for me. I think the ideal number for that game is probably four. I think two is a little bit easy with the rules as written. I've kind of had to find my own variant for it, which made it a little bit more difficult. And then, of course, you can play with more players, but then you're expected to have a trader. So I think if I was going to have two or four I think Mental Blocks would be good, but actually at three, Team 3, I think, is a very comparable game. So for me, those two games kind of stick out. I love the weird, find-the-right-shapes, puzzle-solvey nature of those two things. So if you haven't looked at those, I would definitely check out Mental Blocks and Team 3. Take a look at them. 
Mental Blocks specifically sounds awesome for me. I really, really want to try this one. It just sounds really fun. Yeah, and Team 3 does it really good as well. You just have to have exactly three people, and I think that's the biggest hiccup I have with Team 3. But if you have three, my kids love it. They keep wanting to go back to it. So um, I've hit some puzzles with Mental Blocks that were a little bit frustrating. You know, like those escape room puzzles where you just can't figure them out, where we haven't hit that with Team 3. Team 3... It's very easy to do all of the puzzles. If everybody could see and read and hear, it's just getting people to understand what you're trying to tell them. That's the hard part. It's the more limited communication part of that that makes it interesting. All right. Well, this has been a long one, so we'll kind of wrap things up there. Bernd, uh, you have any final words for 2020? Looking forward to games this year. I know you already did that a bit in the last podcast. There's a lot of great things coming out in 2020 that I'm looking forward to. That Like, Sworn is a big one. The Sleeping Gods. I know we talked about some of these on our channel. I I was a big fan of that Ghost Betwixt. I really enjoyed the way that was working. Dawn of Madness, I think, is slated for 2021. Bloodborne, I'm really excited to get my hands on. I've also, in theory, got uh, with Solomon Kane coming. I'm going to give that a shot. The more I look into it, I'm wondering if that's going to fit my style, but hopefully it does. That's something I'm kind of looking forward to. Of course, the Sword and Sorcery expansion, that's going to be a big one. I'm really excited for that one. That's some of the ones I'm really looking forward to, but we'll see what else comes out. Yeah, I mean, I'm just looking at the games that I kickstarted or that I'm supposed to get a review copy of. Root expansion should be coming really soon. I'm super excited about that. Uh, Alter Quest, I think, should be this year. Incredibly excited to play more of that. Dice Throne Adventures, uh, I'm not sure if they will have... uh, fix the issues I had with it. If they didn't, I might be sad, but if they did, I'll definitely be all in for that. And Trespass Odyssey, that's probably, that's not going to make it this year, is it? There's no way. <laughs> I don't think that's going to make it this year. It's just a really ambitious oh, I mean, project. It's, it's ridiculously huge. Yeah, Osworn, I don't know if it'll make it, but I'm excited about that one. Hour of Need, same thing. I mean, at some point, my Spirit Island Jagged Earth expansion should be coming in. I want to play that. So, yeah, there's definitely some cool stuff coming from Kickstarter for me. Yeah, uh, we mentioned this on the pre- on the previous podcast. I'll just be kind of quick here. But, yeah, uh, Isofarian Guard, if it shows up, I probably won't. Knowing how these things go, it would probably be delayed. But I'm really excited for that one over most of these other games. I'm, I'm excited for what I don't know yet. Like, I mentioned The Gathering Storm, which is the rumored name for the expansion for U-Boat. Because... Sounds like they will probably be doing something for that in the future. We'll see what happens. The Assassin's Creed is one we haven't mentioned. That one, I think, is coming out next year. I'm not really sure when that's going to actually be released, but that sounds kind of pretty cool because that's built on the V Commando system with some changes to it. So that could be up my alley. I'm not sure. Yeah, Trudvang Legends looks really solid as well. But there's, there's just a lot of really good stuff coming down the pipes. I'm looking forward to. Yeah, you know, Barrett, I forgot to say, uh, I think I'm supposed to get a review copy of Solomon Kane. And man, I've been like really following that one on the Kickstarter closely. It might be terrible and it might be amazing. Based on what I've seen, I think it's probably going to be both. <laughs> how incredibly ambitious it is and how much content there is. I just have to imagine, like, looking at their previous games. That there'll be like major translation issues and like it'll be impossible to play some of the scenarios. But I mean, it looks like it could be wild. And I love Solomon Kane, like along with Conan, I've read every single uh, one of Robert E. Howard's like stories for those guys. And it's just a fun kind of setting. By the way, uh, Steve, I think I remembered one for you. Uh, isn't it Reichbusters that might deliver this coming year or this year now? Where That's the one I was forgetting. Yep. Same public publisher. So that's the uh, sneaking around and I don't know, an alternate World War II setting, where basically it's kind of like Hydra <laughs> exists, and you are commandos trying to go on these missions, and you are it's got this big old campaign going, so 
that should make someone on this podcast interested, at least. <laughs> but, <laughs> you count yeah. me in. That, that, that perks my interest right there. <laughs> right. So we'll, uh, we'll see if that delivers because that, that looks pretty good, too. All right. So I guess it's my turn. I am not one who lives in the future. I'm living in right now, and I'm just having fun with the games we're playing. I would say if there's any one game I'm excited about, it's Sworn. The rest of them I'm mildly excited about. But what I'm most excited about is what's to come, right? You look at the last... 10 years in gaming here. I mean, who would have thought that there would have been so many good co-ops that came out in the last 10 years and, you know, Marvel Champions, Journeys of Middle-Earth. I had no idea any of these games were coming out at the beginning of the year. Tainted Grail. You know, I had no excitement about any of these things. Cthulhu, Death May Die, one of my other top games. I mean, those four games right there, all were just amazing. And so I had no idea about any of them at the beginning of the year. And so I'm just looking forward to seeing what does come out in 2020 and what cool stuff we are going to hear about and learn about throughout the course of the year and what great games I'm going to play that nobody knows is coming. So that's that's my excitement for 2020 is more new cool stuff. So I'm curious, Peter, since you've listed Marvel Champions as your game of the year, are you excited about the campaign that might be coming later, the story mode for Champions? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's the thing that sold me on the game to begin with. That's the one thing I think the game is missing, is any kind of a coherent story. Now, they they called the Green Goblin like an adventure pack, and I'm hoping that's not what they're talking about. Because there was story there, but it's not what everybody wants, right? Everybody wants an right. Arkham-style campaign, for or even journeys in middle earth the adventure modes or whatever those are called like that's what people want for marvel champions and so yes i am looking forward to seeing what comes from them and and what comes out from that but who knows is that going to be 2020 is that going to be something they take some time to develop and you know for me arkham lcg got better on the third expansion i think it was i feel like that's where they hit their their stride was the third campaign, so maybe it'll take a couple campaigns before Marvel Champions does the same. Well, it's on the calendar now for Fantasy Flight Games. It's um, the teaser is it's the blank of blank is the name of it. So who knows what that's going to be? Sounds like when I'm talking to my kids. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and on that happy note. <laughs> Have a great 2020, everybody, and we'll be back with, uh, I don't know what we'll be back with. I know I'm uh, recording a top solo games list with uh, Liz from Beyond Solitaire, so maybe we'll just keep the top list going for the entire year. <laughs> Every episode will be a top something. <laughs> well, I know we're doing Cloudspire soon, too, so look forward to that if, you, uh, if you're looking forward to hearing more about Cloudspire. I'll also be doing covering Aftershock in the future on podcast too, so look forward to that. Yes, I have to play and it. You can always catch me inside the Slack, and you don't forget to check out the videos right now. Kingdom Death. It's actually about to take the number one spot in the most videos I've done of a game. Oh, even more than what was it before? Seventh Continent. Seventh Continent had a twenty-one episode playlist, and this one's getting close. Wow, man! What? And that was only half of a one quest. That's correct. I only made it halfway through that one. <laughs> what what, uh, what lantern year are you going into, Baron? Uh, at the time of this recording, we're going into lantern year seven, I believe. See, the seven or eight. Seven is, I think, the one. Oh, I- God. So you're not even halfway through on that then, assuming you survive. <laughs> oh, man. It's it's touch and go sometimes. You never know with that game. It can, it can turn around and bite you real fast. All right. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. So lots of content. Check out the YouTube channel. Check out the podcast. And... We will see you guys soon. Happy 2020, everybody. See you at the next stop.
Thanks for listening to another episode of the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Please check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. If you want to reach out to us, the best place to talk to us all is on the Slack. See the show notes for details. Also, you can support us on Patreon. Check out patreon.com slash one stop. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you all next week with another Top 5 list. Yeah, Mike does that a lot. He doesn't pay attention while we're trying to, like, record. (laughs) He's like, this is a great idea and unique and original. I'm like, I just said that two seconds ago. He's like, I wasn't listening to you. (laughs) I hear that in outtakes every once in a while. Sorry, what's happening? There you go. Nice. There you go. That was (laughs) Yeah, I won't play the same game twice either because I won't play it two times in a row. You mean you won't play it anymore? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I actually like Marvel Legendary. I'm just giving Steve a hard time. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like two times in a row. Like, would you? Are you mean the game twice or two times in a row? Nah, I meant twice ever. But yeah. I mean, <laughs> okay. Hey, look, don't don't try to explain <laughs> my it took bad me a jokes. To figure out what you're getting at. <laughs> so for 2014, all right. Um, let's see here. 214, it's kind of, it, it's really a no-brainer. Well, no, not yet. Well, mm. <laughs> All right. So, Steve, how about 2014. you? 2014. <laughs> Blooper. Yeah, no, here. I got it. I got it. It's right here. All right. All right, ba- All right Steve, I'll jump in next. You? Okay, or not. <laughs> Steve's not allowed to jump in on his own. Peter has to introduce <laughs> him each time. No, I have to Apparently introduce not. you or it's it fine, didn't fine. happen. Yeah, don't let me introduce people. It's just fantastic when I try. (laughs) Okay.